Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Uh, so science communicator Sabrina Brennan is just about to talk to us now to talk a little bit about science, but also about love. Sabrina, good afternoon. Hi, how are you doing? Not too bad. So, like, w- would it be fair to say that to a degree it's preordained who you're going to fall in love with? I wouldn't say it's preordained, but um, I think if you want to talk about things like love at first sight, um, we certainly, our brain is capable of attraction at first sight. You know that feeling you get when you lock eyes with somebody and there's, yeah, sort of that little bit of electricity or something. I mean, our brains have evolved the ability to determine a you know, attraction, or if you want to say it another way, a suitable mate within about 100 milliseconds. So um, definitely we have attraction at first sight and we feel a sort of, it's like an unspoken signal that holding of the gaze a little bit longer. And um, if it's reciprocated, there's like an emotional bond is formed. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it'll go on to be love at first sight, but you kind of can't have love at first sight without the attraction at first sight. For love to persist, then there's kind of a few other things that are um, needed and they're kind of a little bit sort of more boring, I suppose, in a way. There are things like we're more likely to stay with someone who is from a similar culture, economic background, um, you know, same social sort of background, etc. Um, and like positive people are more attracted to other positive people. But then, you know, there's always kind of, um, you know, the opposite also works on occasion. We can find people attractive with whom we've nothing in common. And then over time, through familiarity, um, we can bond. But the majority is, you know, you generally kind of stay with someone who's mm. pretty similar to you. So, yeah. So, so generally speaking, the, uh, the, we, our, 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 our choices are narrowed. And we're speaking in very general terms because of some yes. of those factors. Like in our relationship with our parents and, and what relationship oh, they yeah. had. That's where and it gets, that is where you, you kind of get the predetermined bit. It's just kind of part of it. So definitely our genetic heritage influences the gender that you're attracted to the choice of sex partner that you'd make to some extent. And really what I kind of find quite fascinating is how lightly you are to take part in one night stands. Um, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean like you kind of get out. <laughs> so <laughs> is, there a, out of, is there a promiscuous gene, Sabina? Free card. <laughs> <laughs> it's not me, it was me jeans. Uh, I just couldn't it help it. It was me jeans. Yeah. Um, no, but yeah, it does. It, it does influence. I mean, that's certainly what the the research shows. But you do have frontal lobes in your brain where you can override that sort of inherent um, tendency towards that. But um, also, like, there is, you know, there's some people who have a greater tendency towards engaging in risky sexual behavior. And that's that's linked with a very specific gene called the DOR-D4 gene. And that helps to regulate the dopamine receptors in your brain. Now, your brain communicates using electrical and chemical signals. Um, so no- dopamine is a neurotransmitter, one of those chem- chemical signals. And it's involved in rot- motivation and reward and pleasure, including sexual gratification. And as people who have a certain variant of that gene are more likely to have 
have a history of uncommitted sex, including one night stands, and we're also more likely to engage in infidelity, etc. So yeah, it's kind of interesting, you know. Mm. So I don't know. I, I I can see us getting to the stage where you'll where you'll screen people to see whether they have that gene or, or not. <laughs> now, when you going back to that kind of. You, you, you look at somebody and you're holding each other's gaze for a slightly too long and, and, and there's an initial attraction there. Is there other information being passed back and forth there that perhaps the people aren't aware of? There kind of probably is, you know, we can kind of, we can, we read an awful lot, like, you know, we put an awful lot of emphasis on the information we get verbally, but our brain is commuting, computing an awful lot of information sort of unconsciously we're reading whether people are are happy approachable whether they're actually um healthy or um you know there's a lot of subtle non-verbal behavioral information that our brain is computing now we mightn't be taking that in um consciously do you know what i mean we're not kind of consciously going oh that person looks sick although you could be doing that but your brain is kind of you know taking that information in and that you know it's kind of adding it all together and kind of almost i hate to say making that decision but that is what it's doing it's 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 sort of making predictions because that's what your brain does it's constantly making predictions about what's a a good next step for you Mm. so um it's 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 taking subtle information from your environment all the time so um something like that uh interaction is no different is the, uh, and and uh, on these kind of interactions, are pheromones playing a part? Is scent playing a part? I don't mean like you know if they're wearing uh, whatever particular aftershave or something. I mean their actual smell. Yeah, there's 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 some now. It doesn't seem to be a huge um, a huge uh, part of it, but it does seem to make a small contribution to why we find someone attractive. Now, obviously, I don't know about you, but like, I mean, if someone has a bad smell, that's going to play a big role in whether you find them attractive or not. But that's about whole other issues of them not washing, etc. So that goes another road. But um, yeah, there, you know, there, there, there's uh, obviously attractive misjudgments about the presence or, you know, of a pleasant or unpleasant odor. But um there seems to be research suggests that some women seem to favor smells of men who have, which I think is kind of fascinating, who have a different, um, different immune genes to them. Now, that's mm. not something that I can tell you what someone smells like, but right. that's what the research seems to show. And then from an evolutionary perspective and from a survival of the species perspective, that makes incredible sense. Um, although we've no way of showing whether that's for sure, but it would mean that their offspring, if they get together, would be better protected because they've two, um, you know, strands of, uh, immune, um, genes sort of gone into the mix, but, um, whether it influences the choice of partner we make, um, it's not clear. The research is kind of mixed on that, but it's kind of fascinating, really. Yeah. You know, so, so when, links like that. When you see something you're attracted to, or maybe you know a bit further down the road, you might think there's something in this. What's happening in your brain? Are the particular chemicals being released, or or are, are less chemicals being uh, of other chemicals being released in the brain? Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So when you're falling in love, like it really is like, as I said, though, you know, I mean, you've got 86 billion neurons in your brain and they communicate by electrical and chemical signals. So that's kind of going on all the time. But really, 
when you're falling in love, there's this sort of irresistible cocktail of brain chemicals that flood the brain. Um, um, and they're associated with reward. So I mentioned that already, um, that dopamine is involved. But these chemicals together, they kind of lead to some of those physical, physiological responses that we feel like our racing heart and our sweaty palms and flushing of our cheeks and also feelings of anxiety and feelings of passion and feelings of lust. Um, but generally speaking, dopamine is... Um, involved in those feelings, feeling reward. And the role of dopamine really is it gets the reward system going when we engage in anything that feels pleasurable. And actually its main purpose is to get you to get more of it, to do it again. Mm. <laughs> so dopamine is involved in sort of pleasurable eating. You know, it, it's part of keeping you alive. Eating food is nice. You need to do it again because it will kind of keep you alive. But when it comes to love, it, it like it's so intense that it's been described as euphoric and like the euphoria associated with taking, you know, certain drugs or, or, or alcohol. So, you know, love is a drug if you want to kind of use that term from uh, a song. I'm right. trying to think which one it was. Uh, that was um, yeah, Roxy Music, yes. Roxy uh, Music, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the man uh, himself. Yeah, uh, the, the, doesn't it, this all kind of kill the magic, uh, Sabina? Oh, when you were young and in love, were you saying, oh, that's just the dopamine again? No, no, because it's it, it, you still feel the same, you know? And I mean, then you get noradrenaline is released and that makes you feel high and giddy and that interferes with, you know, it gives you extra energy and it, it can interfere with your ability to, to eat and actually to sleep. So, you know, that feeling, oh my God, I can't think of anything, can't eat, can't sleep, I'm so excited. But you mentioned earlier, does it does it lower the levels of some, um, some uh, neurotransmitters? And it does. We often hear of serotonin as the happy hormone, but actually that kind of can come become uh, levels can become depleted when you're in love um, and again that's involved in mood and appetite and, and people with obsessive compulsive disorder also have low levels of serotonin and so some scientists think that that can, can that when that kind of goes a bit too far a bit out of whack that's where kind of the obsession and the infatuation well we can kind of all feel that a bit at the start when you fall in love like it is sort of you know, OTT at the start, but then that kind of levels off. But then if it doesn't level off and you kind of get this more, you can get into that more unhealthy sort of relationship. Um, and some scientists feel that that's related to the serotonin, you know, staying at lower levels. It's kind of interesting too. Sabina, thanks a million. Uh, Sabina, thanks a million for speaking with us today. That was Sabina Brennan there, uh, the health psychologist and uh, neuroscientist. Uh, Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.